0: So Genesis 19, this is actually the last record we have of Lot's life. Other than a reference that Jesus makes uh, regarding the days of his return, Luke 17, and a reference in 2 Peter, you know, Lot now is going to fade from the pages of Scripture. This This is the last record of life. And I think it's this chapter, Genesis 19, I think it's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible But it's so very necessary for us to see what a life spent walking in the spirit, you know, not leaning on our own understanding what that life looks like versus, you know, the life that Lot led, you know, seeking, um, you know, walking by sight, not seeking the Lord, leaning on his own understanding, and then seeing what the end result of that life is. You know, how we need to be warned about the decisions we make in the flesh, right? And those decisions, they bring out these tremendously terrible consequences into our lives. And honestly, for some reasons, you know, I think that there's some Christians that think these warnings don't apply to them. I mean, these warnings are for the other guy, but it's not true, right? God's warning is for each one of us individually to consider and to heed. And I actually view God's warning as just His grace. It's His mercy, right? Because He wants to warn us. He wants to instruct us in a way to live a life that we can avoid the catastrophes of bad decisions, decisions that are made in the flesh. So in His love, He warns us. There are so many contrasts to be made between the life of Abraham, like chapter 18, and here, chapter 19, the life of Lot. You know, Abraham, Abraham, he sought God's heart. You know, Lot, he walked by sight. He was in the flesh. He made his own decisions. You know, and you might recall back in the study, we, we looked about his bad decisions, how they were worldly. And, and you know, just, again, we're going to see the result that they bring in his life. And at the end of this study today, We'll look at some contrast between Abraham and Lot, right? You might remember last week we saw the Lord and two angels. They appeared to Abraham as he's sitting in the tent, um, you know, sitting in the door of his tent. And at the end of Genesis 18, we read that the Lord stayed with Abraham while these two angels went on to Sodom and, and, uh, you know, the Lord then just enters into this dialogue with Abraham. Some people see it as a negotiation. I don't see it that way. Um, I think it's just, you know, this conversation that the Lord has with Abraham. And you might turn back Genesis 18 verse 17 says, And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? God reveals to Abraham, Abraham uh, what he's, what he's going to do. He's headed off to the cities of the plains there, and he's going to bring judgment because of the sin that's come up to him, right? And Abraham says, you remember, he says, Lord, you know, you're not going to judge the righteous with the wicked, are you? Far be that from you. And um, that was the thing that God wanted Abraham to understand about him. Right. If you look at verse 19, Genesis 18, verse 19, the beginning says, For I have known him, speaking to Abraham, and in order that he may command his children and his household after him. The Lord wanted to reveal to Abraham what he was going to do because he knows that Abraham is going to instruct his family and charge his family um, to keep the way of the Lord, and to do righteousness and justice. Abraham's going to pass on the information that he has of God. He's going to pass on what he knows about God to the next generation. He's going to pass on what he knows about the truth. He's going to pass on to his family what he knows about God's word. And the Lord wanted Abraham to know what he was doing so that when he passed on that information, it would be done accurately in regards to um, God's plans right? And then Abram, we see in verse 18, verse 23, uh, chapter 18, verse 23, Abram, he enters into, you know, he begins to intercede in prayer uh, for the righteous of Sodom. Verse 23 says, and Abraham came near and he presents to the Lord his request. And that's what prayer is all about. It's all about drawing near to, to the Lord. Hebrews 10, 22 says, let us draw near with true heart with a true heart and full assurance of faith and the things that Abraham began to lay out before the Lord as he's interceding for the righteous of the righteous there in Sodom what he's laying out before the Lord are the very things the Lord actually wants to say yes to it wasn't a no, negotiation as much as it was just this conversation between two friends between the Lord and the friend of God And this is where we pick up the story in Genesis 19. Verse 1 says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when we read of people in this time, they're sitting in the gate. What it means is that they're part of the leadership of the city. They're one of the elders of the city. It was in the city gates where the the leaders would gather, and they would give advice. They would witness legal proceedings. Uh, They would make civic Uh, decisions. And here we see, or at least we're going to see very soon, that Lot is actually called, he's referred to as a judge of the city. When we last saw Lot in Genesis 14, Lot and the inhabitants of Sodom, you might remember, they were captured and taken prisoner by Chetalomer, the king of Elam, And you may recall that it was Abram that rescued Lot and rescued all the inhabitants of the city of Sodom. And Lot, before he was captured, he was an inhabitant of of Sodom. And here we see he's he's a judge in the city. He's a leader in the city. And just to understand, you know, why why he would go back to Sodom, I I have no understanding. I don't know why. I mean, just think about it lot. Why would you go back to Sodom? Peter said that Lot, 2 Peter 2, 7, he was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. And it would seem to me that after being rescued by Uncle Abraham and having Abraham as a relative, there were some, you know, advantages that were afforded to Lot, at least politically speaking. And that's how he was raised up to be a leader in the city, maybe. But again, I would think that living in a wicked city, being taken captive by the enemy and then being rescued by the Lord would cause Lot to rethink his life. Maybe even consider, maybe Lot, would you consider that maybe you're out of the will of God? You know, if Lot heard God's warning about returning to Sodom, he certainly didn't heed the warning. Instead, Lot he goes right back to Sodom. He gets right back, uh, gets right back involved in the affa- affairs of the city, and uh, you know he becomes one of the judges. You know how did God, How did Lot get to that place? Boy, you just think about how's how it even possible. Well, it started out in Genesis 13 verse 10, and you re- you'll recall where we saw Lot lifted his eyes. He saw all the well-watered plain, you know, was, uh, of Jordan, that it was well-watered like, like back in Egypt. And Lot was a herdsman. And he saw that the land of Sodom, it was good for business. There was money to be made. Instead of looking to the Lord, he looked to the land, right? It was a good business decision. It just made business sense. And he, and he went, He never considered what the Lord might want for him. He never considered what might be good for his family. It was a business decision. Boy, he made it. Two verses later, we read that Lot dwelt in the uh, cities of the plain and pitched his tent as far as Sodom. Um, Other translations render it this way. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. He pitched his tent near Sodom. And the idea is that slowly but surely... He's getting closer and closer to Sodom and he's getting sucked in to the ways of the world. And then in Genesis 14, he's actually living in Sodom. Like we said, Lot slowly but surely without seeking the Lord finds himself drawn into a bad situation through compromise in his life. You know, one of my good friends, his name is Tom Ewers, uh, great guy. Now, I just love Tom so much, and I can remember he said to me once, Gary, defeat, or uh, sorry, he said, "Uh, compromise is defeat in due season. And you know, you think about it, it's true. Doesn't matter, you know, you draw a line in the sand and you say, I'm never going to cross that line, but once you cross that line, you can't stop drawing lines in the sand uh, that you won't cross. Until you get to a place where you thought you would never, ever end up. Compromise is defeat in due season, you know? And again, boy, you know what? I think especially for us in these times, especially for us in these times, we need to be seeking the Lord with a whole heart, with our whole heart, and to allow Him to take the rightful place in our lives. And we need to be living For him without holding anything back. God, I believe, is calling us as a church to just just run after him with all of our might, with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our strength. You know, and if we fail to do that, the result will be we'll become numb to the craziness all around us. And imperceptibly, what will happen is we'll get sucked into the chaos and the wickedness of this world. You know, and I'm sure Lot never intended to end up where he ended up because he failed to keep God at the center of his life. Because he didn't see the importance of being separate from the world. Because he didn't view living for God as something precious, something to value. The things of the world began to creep into uh, Lot's heart. And Genesis 19 is the result of that. First one continues and says, When Lot saw them, referring to the two angels, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night. This is the first mention of a house in, in the Bible. Abraham, he's a pilgrim. He's living in a tent. Lot, though, he has a position in the city. He's one of the elders, he's a judge, he's living in a house. And you know, Don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with owning a house. God's opening a door. I'm really like excited. Tina and I are really excited. God's opening a door to bless us with a house. We've never owned a house before. God has never allowed us to own a house before. We were always on the move. And you know, it looks like we're here to stay. Um, But the problem is when we lose sight as believers that our home is there in heaven. You know that our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.20. The problem is not the house, but the problem is when we stop looking for and waiting for that city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, uh, as Hebrews 11.10. And verse 2 continues, he said, Here, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. And they say, no, but we'll spend the night in the open square. But Lot, it says, but he insisted strongly. So they turned to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now, we don't have all the details of this feast that Lot prepares like we had in regards to the feast Abraham prepared for the Lord and the angels. It says that Lot made the feast for them. It doesn't say his wife made the feast for them, right? It was Lot that did it. And it seems to indicate maybe, you know, Lot's wife isn't entirely happy with these guests. Maybe she didn't approve of them being in her house. You know, I don't know. I just find that detail a little bit interesting. Make of it what you will. It says that Lot made unleavened bread for them. Now, this is the first mention of unleavened bread in the Bible too. Okay, I don't really know what to make of that either. Um, Leaven's always a picture; it's always a type of sin in the Bible, and I have nothing to base this on other than just as I just wonder. This is maybe uh, this is what I think. I wonder if Lot's trying to impress these angels. He's trying to impress these guys that he's acting more religious than he really was. I wonder if he's trying to appear to these guys that he hasn't compromised his walk at all. And he's actually trying to appear to to them like he's standing strong in the Lord. But his wife, she knows otherwise. And maybe she's just not going to play that game of hypocrisy. I don't know. At any rate, Lot knows the danger and wickedness of the city. And that's why he insisted on them coming into his house and not staying in the square. Verse 4. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people uh, from every quarter surrounded the house. Now, it's not five or ten guys. It's crazy, right? It was all the men from every quarter. It was old men and it was young men. It was all the men. The entire city knew that there were two new guys in the city. Verse 5. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them carnally. The whole city is outside and they are demanding that Lot send these two guys out, that they might abuse them sexually. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind them. I mean, I can just imagine him kind of like getting, you know, cracking the door, squeezing out, shutting the door behind them. And he says, Please, my brethren, Do not do so wickedly. And it's just unbelievable to me that Lot would call these men that are bent on such wickedness, he calls them brethren, you know, or brothers. You know, how far can the righteous fall? How far has Lot fallen? He's part of the city. He's part of the problem. God's people are to be in the world but not to be of the world. John 15, 19 says that believers, as believers, we're not of this world. 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will, will receive you. But now, as a result of compromise... Lot identifies with these men and he calls them brethren. Oh, Lot. Verse 8. So now, uh, Lot says, see now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do to them as you wish. Only do not do these men since this is the reason, uh, do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. The act of offering his daughters to this mob goes way beyond uh, Middle Eastern hospitality, right? This is not normal at all. And it would seem that Lot has lived his life inside this city so very long that now he's, he's, he's gotten used to this type of perversity you know, offering his daughters to be abused. Maybe that seemed okay to him. Maybe that just seemed, um, you know, normal to him as he's just been, you know, climatized to that, that attitude within the city over time. You know, and again, what a warning this is to us as believers. We see similar things being played out here in our world, don't we? Things that used to be considered perverse, or disgusting, or shocking. You know, things that we would never actually speak about in public. You know, those those activities are now flaunted. They're now paraded and considered normal. They're even sold to us as an, an alternative healthy lifestyle. You know, we can't compromise as believers. We need to reach out to those who sadly enough, the church in many cases, you know, have treated shamefully. We need to love those people. You know, we need to love the sinner, but not condoning the sin. Jesus loved the sinner. He didn't condone the sin. He didn't wink, wink at it. And he didn't dismiss it. You know, my prayer is that we would be such a loving church, that people uh, who've been abused, people who've been chewed up by this world, by sex and drugs and alcohol and spat out and then just kicked to the curb. You know, my prayer is that that they would know Calvary Chapel Truckee as a loving church where they would be welcomed and loved in our midst in hopes that they would find Christ and salvation. You know, God use us, Lord, use us as a church to reach the lost, to reach the lost, to reach those that your heart breaks for, Lord. That's my prayer. Use us, Lord, for Your glory, verse nine. And they said, "Stand back." Then they said, "This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we'll deal worse with you than with these uh, than with them." Lot's so-called brethren. This is the way it is always, right? They're they're only tolerant with Lot until the point where he doesn't before he gets in the way of their of their sin. They're tolerant of Lot until he takes a stand. You know, they're basically saying, Hey, you came in to live with us. You became one of us. And now you think you're better than us. Who are you to judge us, right? And, you know, that's typical of a backslidden Christian. Even though they find themselves in the world, they're never actually accepted by the world. The world sees that a Christian backslidden or otherwise They don't belong there and they don't accept them, right? The world will tolerate a backslidden Christian, but once he tries to take a stand, you know, they're going to reject him outright every time. Verse 9, So they pressed hard against the, the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary of trying to find the door. The word blindness here, the word that's used, that's translated blindness here, is only used one other time in the Bible. And there it's translated confusion. Whatever God did to them, I mean, it brought confusion. It it messed them up. But you know what? It doesn't stop them. You know, They start feeling around for the door. And how crazy is it that their sexual, their sinful sexual desires are not deterred by the loss of their sight? Man, you know, the same thing is true in our world today. Sin leads to blindness. And then ultimately to judgment. And when people, even when people become aware of the result of their sin in their lives, right? They still want to satisfy those sinless desires, regardless of the consequences it'll bring into their life. These men of Sodom have experienced God's grace and that they were rescued by Abraham. And now they're willingly forgetting the blessings of God to engage in their lustful desires and sin. That's so sad because it's in our world today. You know, this country of ours has experienced so much of God's grace, God's goodness. And we've turned our back on God as a country in an effort to throw him off from any kind of rule uh, over our lives, you know, so that as a nation we can run after what we think is right, so that we can run after our sinful uh, desires. And boy, you know what? The world needs Jesus. You know what? America needs Jesus. Trucking needs Jesus. Verse 12, Then the men said to Lot, These men are or the angels. They say to Lot, Have you anyone else here? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. If it were not for this verse right here, we would never know that Lot had sons. They're never mentioned again. They were never mentioned before. And it would seem that Lot's life of compromise, you know, had such a negative effect on his sons that they're never mentioned again. Verse 13, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. The world is headed for judgment. And it breaks my heart when I see compromising Christians tell others that Jesus would change their life if they would only just turn to him. But their compromise, you know, it, it makes their message ineffective. It makes their message empty. It makes their message meaningless. Why would anyone want to come out of the world if Christians are trying hard to look like the world? It doesn't make any sense. We need to be a witness we need to be examples of God's grace in this world. And we need to be separate and unspotted by the world. You know, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Verse 14, so Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. But to his sons-in-laws, he seemed to be joking. Now, this verse, it's interesting to me it can be translated in two different ways or at least interpreted two different ways. The first one is the sons-in-laws are actually married to Lot's daughters. And then he has a couple other virgin daughters in his house. Or it can mean the sons-in-laws are these virgin daughters' fiancés. They're not actually married yet. You know, when you were betrothed, when you were engaged uh, you know, in this culture, It was as good as being married. It was, uh, you were considered married. And I think, I personally think that these guys were probably fiancés of Lot's daughters. Um, But you know, it's not really important either. Whatever you think is fine, it's okay. The bigger question is why didn't Lot's family believe in? Why do they think he was just joking? Why does his son-in-law think he's just like goofing around? And the answer is his compromise. And it's something that this chapter just repeats and repeats and repeats. It's his compromise. His witness was so weak after living in the middle of Sodom. You know, his family seeing him laughing at foul, off-color, dirty jokes, you know, uh, there in the gates of the city maybe never raising an an objection to the wickedness that was all around him. You know, his voice was never heard uh, speaking of righteousness, maybe. He never took a stand for God. He went along to get along. And because of compromise in the life of the believer, people are justified in saying, hey, if it was so important to you to live that life or... Yeah. Why aren't you doing it? If it's so important to you, why aren't you doing it? That's a legitimate complaint. You know, why should we live that life if you're not living that life? Lot's family saw the hypocrisy and his witness was no longer of any value to them. And the same is true for us and our families. If we compromise the things that we believe as Christians, you know, our kids will see it. Our families will see it. People in the workplace will see it. And I promise you, that compromise will not go unnoticed. And we'll we'll be viewed as hypocrites. And our families will scoff at us when, when we try to tell them the truth about God. Unless people see a change in our life that is lasting, our words are empty. One of the reasons Tina and I became missionaries actually, it's because we wanted, to, we wanted our kids to see the value of living your life sold out for Jesus Christ. We wanted our kids to see uh, that giving their lives to Christ and living for his kingdom was worth more than anything the world could ever offer them. And the way I saw things was the world was trying to grab the hearts of our kids. The world, and Tina and I, we were in a race to see who was going to fill our kids with their values first. Right. And Tina and I were at a tremendous disadvantage in that we don't have the marketing budget. The world has, right? The only thing that Tina and I have was our lives. That's the only thing in the world that the world doesn't have. They don't have a life to live for Jesus Christ. So Tina and I decided to live our life for Jesus in such a way that our kids could see the reality and the value of living a life for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. You know, it's the only thing that we as parents have to combat the pull of the world on our kids. You know, uh, Barna Research, they did a study some years ago. I have never forgotten it. 80% of kids that their parents went to church only on a Sunday, 80% of their children later in life were not serving the Lord. But 80% of the kids that their parents served in the church somehow, went to church a couple of times a week, maybe set up chairs or maybe counted the tithe or, or maybe answered the phone, whatever the case, they just did something within the church. 80% of those kids were walking with the Lord later in life. Boy, you know what? How important it is for us to live our faith. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry saying, arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, (laughs) Lot, While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to them, and brought them out and set set them outside the city. I just can't believe it. Lot's lingering. What are you doing, Lot? I mean, just think about it. If two angels showed up at your house, and the entire city came out to abuse them sexually... And when you tried to stop them, the men of the city then threatened to kill you, to kill you if you didn't produce those men, if you didn't get out of the way. And then you know what? The angels grab you, pull you back in the house, strike the strike the men of the city with blindness, and they say to you, Get your family out of here, because all hell is gonna be unleashed on the city in judgment tomorrow. I mean, you know what? I wouldn't think twice to get out. <laughs> I wouldn't even wait. I would be gone. That's the last place I want to hang out. Someplace where God's judgment is going to fall. But these two angels, they literally, and this is what these verses tell us. They literally have to drag Lot and his family out of the city. Lot, what are you doing? You know, it just shows how blind we can become when we compromise and we play around and we flirt with sin. Verse 17. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look back nor stay away anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. And how amazing is our God who makes a way of escaping judgment to come. You know what? If you're not a believer today and you're watching, judgment is coming. But God and his great love towards you has made a way for you to escape that judgment. Christ died for you, taking your sins upon him. And he's willing to give you his righteousness if you'll repent of your sins, if you'll return from your sins and uh, live, live for him. Just turn to him in faith and ask him for forgiveness and give him your life. You know, escaping the coming judgment that's gonna be poured out on a Christ-rejecting world is there for anyone who'll just ask for forgiveness. You can be saved. The blood of Christ can cleanse you right now, even as we speak, and cleanse you of your sins. And you know what? This is what I think. If you're not a believer today and you're watching, you've heard that before and you know it's true. And then the question is this, what's holding you back? What's so important that you would just be willing to endure the wrath of God for? Turn to Jesus. Be cleansed from that stain of sin that's on your life. And and be forgiven. Have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And escape judgment that's certain to come. Verse 18. And Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords! Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you've increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest something evil overtakes me and I die. Lot's basically saying, Don't make me go to the mountains. You know, something bad's going to happen to me. What are you talking about, Lot? Abraham lives in the mountains. Uncle Abraham's in the mountains. If you'll just humble yourself and go to him and apologize, he'll receive you. Oh, God is so gracious. You know what? I would have said to to Lot right there, "Eh? you think it's bad in the mountains? Why don't you just hang out here for a while and see what bad really is? But God is more loving than me. Praise God for that. Verse 20, so now the city is near enough to flee to, Lot says. And it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And what Lot's saying here is, you know, it's not a bad, a big bad city like Sodom. It's just a little bad city. You know, again, Lot, what are you doing? I mean, Lot, he's still relying on his own understanding. He's still captivated by this compromising life. And he said to him, See, I have, I have favored you. Again, this is the angel speaking to Lot now. See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Zoar means little. Uh, apparently, it gets its name when Lot says, Hey, let me go to Zoar. Let me go to that little city. Verse 23, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. So they get this early start. They get into the city um, and it's sun up, right? Sunrise. Verse 24, then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. Now, I don't know what brimstone and, and fire is. And I don't really think anybody else knows. You can read all kinds of commentary. They got all kinds of ideas. I don't know. Jude 7 says they suffered the vengeance of eternal fire. So again, I don't know what eternal fire is. I don't know what eternal fire looks like raining down from heaven, but it sounds bad to me. I don't know. What I do know is I never, ever want to experience it. And I I thank God for a way to escape judgment. Verse 25, so he overthrows those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. You know, we don't know where Lot picked up his wife. Maybe it was in Egypt, maybe it was in Sodom. I mean, seems like they're unequally yoked to some degree. She looks back with a longing for Sodom. She left Sodom physically. But her heart was still in Sodom. She didn't want to leave. She wanted to be back there. And because of that, she suffers the same judgment that Sodom suffered. You know, Jesus preached a three-word sermon. It's recorded for us, uh, Luke 17, 32. It's a three-word sermon. He says, remember Lot's wife. And the tenses of what Jesus said is be continually remembering Lot's wife. Now, honestly, I'm not continually remembering Lot's wife. You know, I'm not continually thinking of her. But I think what Jesus is saying when he when he when he brings up Lot's wife is be on guard. You know, make sure you guard your heart. Friendship with, with the world will make you an enemy of God. And it happens so very subtly. It's imperceptible. You know, guard your heart. Let nothing come between you and me is what Jesus, I think, would tell each one of us, because the heart will make a convert of the mind. You know, whatever gets between you and Jesus, that's your true passion. And at the same time, that's your enemy you know, it will be your downfall. Verse 27, Abraham went early in the, in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. Abraham's such a beautiful contrast to the life of Lot. Uh, Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had met the Lord. You know, um, he had a place where he met the Lord. I would call this, you know, morning devotions. And I encourage you Get away with the Lord before all the stuff of the day gets heaped onto your plate. You know, last Tuesday, before I got to the church office at nine in the morning, you know, I started my day off in the word and in prayer, like I always do. I wake up early, everybody's still sleeping, you know? And honestly, last Tuesday, I wouldn't have made it through the day had I not started my day that way. There was such an overwhelming amount of stuff that's on my plate just pressures and just, you know, burdens that I'm carrying just cast upon me that morning, even before I got to church. I'm telling you, you never know what kind of day is ahead of you when you wake up. Morning devotions are about survival for me. You know, time with the Lord in the morning is the only way I can make it through my day. And if you're not having morning devotions, if you're not spending real, meaningful time with the Lord first thing in the morning, you know, as your pastor, could I just lovingly, gently encourage you to make that a habit in your life? You know, it'll have a wonderful effect on your life and you'll come to see the wisdom in it. In time, you'll wonder how how you ever made it, uh, you know, through the day, before you had devotions in the morning it'll become a best friend for you verse 18 then he speaking of Abraham looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and he saw and beheld uh, behold the smoke of the land which went up like a smoke of a furnace and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plains that God remembered Abraham And sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Lot was spared for the sake of another. He was spared for the sake of Abraham. God regarded the prayers of Abraham. And listen, you know, God has a message for us as a church. I'm convinced of it because this is just a topic that keeps coming up. Our prayers make a difference. We talked about it last Sunday. You know, we, we, if you weren't with us last Sunday, I want to encourage you to, to watch that study on YouTube. We looked at Matthew 7, 7 through 11, which was Jesus' third mention of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's so important in our lives. We need to be engaging in it. We need to be laboring in it. And again, I just would invite you, come out to the underground prayer meeting. Just come out and just be there and just intercede for the church and people, marriages, you know, ministries within the body. Anyway, each of us, it's interesting, a lot is spared for the sake of another, but each one of us are spared for the sake of another. We're spared because of, uh, on the sake of Jesus Christ, how much we've been spared from since Christ died for our sin and he ever lives to make intercession for us. Boy, I can't even imagine it. If it wasn't for Jesus in my life, I would have thrown my life away so many times, so many different ways, you know. But God has spared me for the sake of Jesus Christ, my Savior. God has spared you for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Savior. We owe all to him. We owe all to him. Verse 30. Then Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains and his two daughters were with him for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar and he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Lot actually doesn't spend any time at all in Zoar like he said he wanted to because he's afraid. So what does he do? He dwells in this cave out of fear. Here this guy, remember he, Uncle Abraham gave him the choice. Which way you want to go? You want to go right? You want to go left? It's up to you. You choose. What does he do? He chooses the best for himself. You know what? He made a decision without seeking the Lord. He had position in the city. He had a house and now he has nothing. He winds up in a cave. The things of this world are fleeting. The only security that we have is found in Jesus Christ. And then verses 31 through 88 or 38. I mean, I don't even like, I don't even like reading this part of the chapter. It's so, so sad. Now the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old and there's no man on the earth to come into us as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine and we'll lie with him uh, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in to, and and lie with her, Father, And he did not know when she lay down and when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him and uh, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. That then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn, a son, and, uh, the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He's the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He's the father of the people of Ammon to this day. What these two girls show us is the influence that Sodom had on their lives. And really what we're seeing here is the rebirth of Sodom and its wickedness being revived, being perpetuated in the lives of Lot's daughters through uh, Lot's daughters. And the troubles that come out of Lot's walking by sight and not looking to the Lord, the the troubles that come out of Lot's compromise, man, has brought uh, such trouble hardships into his life, such troubles into his life. And it's just unbelievable. And the lesson here is compromise will infect your family. The Moabites and the Ammonites turn out to be enemies of, of Israel. If we live in compromise, our kids will live in compromise because their sin nature, they have this bent towards sin instead of righteousness. It's just the natural bent of all mankind. We need to heed the warnings and cling to our Savior. We need to seek Him in His heart and His guidance in every decision that we make as believers. If we don't, we run the risk of overwhelmingly terrible events playing out in our lives. And by the time we see what's going on, you know, it'll be too late. There'll be no way to make a change. So, Let's take a quick minute and look at the contrast be, but, uh, between Abram, Abraham, and Lot. Uh, the Lord himself visited Abraham. Angels visited Lot. Abram called himself a servant and prepared a feast. And he gave milk and he gave butter and he prepared this choice calf. And then as he served it to them, he stood behind them and, and to, just to make sure that... If they needed anything, he would be there. Lot calls himself a servant. He prepares a feast. You know, no mention of what it was other than unleavened bread, and there's no mention of him standing by to serve, um, to serve these these men that came into him. It seems that Lot's just a servant in a word only. The Lord brought a message of joy, a promise of a of a, a son to Abraham. But the angels, they bring this message of judgment to Lot. Uh, Abraham was visited in the daytime. Abraham was walking in the light. But the angels, they come and visit Lot at nighttime. Uh, Lot is walking in darkness. Abraham sat in the door of his tent. Lot, he's sitting in the gates of a wicked city. Abraham will offer his son as a sacrifice. Lot, he offers his daughters his two virgin daughters to this wicked mob for their pleasure. Abraham had power with God through drawing near to him in prayer and his, request, and his requests were granted him, right? Lot, on the other hand, he lost all influence in his family because of this compromising lifestyle that he lived. Abraham saw Lot, uh, saw Sodom destroyed and he doesn't lose anything. Lot sees Sodom destroyed and he loses everything. He he walks away with only his life. Abraham brought blessing to his family and he brought blessing into the world as promised by God through uh, the Messiah coming through his lineage. Lot, he brings trouble into the world. You know, he brings the enemies of Israel into the world and he has no influence with his family or the city he lived in. I mean, this is such a, a sad and tragic chapter to me. It, it really is. It's, it's hard for me to go through it because it's not just a story. This is this is reality, and God is warning each one of us today. This message is meant for us today. It's a warning to us so we can avoid the consequences of a compromising life. It's something that I see too frequently. You know, some Christians, they give their hearts and they give their lives to Jesus Christ and they never look back. I mean, they're on fire and they're running after him. Their life is being spent for his kingdom. While other Christians, I see they have one foot in the world and they have one foot in church. And their heart is like, how close can I be to the world and still go to heaven? You know, while they're living in compromise, they're just tormented and they're miserable. Again, Second Peter two eight. You know, um, Peter dis, uh, describes. Um, you know what Lot was, incur- uh, was experiencing, right? It says, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. You know what? Lot was saved, but as through fire it would seem, like it says, 1 Corinthians 3.15. The first group, those that are Christians that are living for the Lord, that first group live a life of blessing and joy in spite of the hardships of life. And you know what? Make no mistake about it. Life is hard. God is good. Life is hard. We can't get those two things mixed up. Living for Christ may result in us having little materially speaking or having less materially speaking in this world. But those that live for Christ are rich in the things of God and and they're rich in heaven. The second group, those that are living that compromising lifestyle, one foot in the church, one foot in the world, you know, they may have much, materially speaking, but their lives are barren and their lives are empty. You know, their hearts are just black. They never get to experience the excitement of being led by the Spirit, having God lead them and guide them into this Deeper, rewarding life that's spent for eternity. They never they never know the joy there. They, they may never know the joy, but they, they may know the Lord, but they'll never know the joy, the power of a life spent for Jesus Christ. The deeper fellowship that God draws us into as we spend our life for Christ. You know, Um, that only comes to those that forsake the things of the world and are living solely and completely for Jesus. The first group will have a triumphal entry into heaven and they'll hear the Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. And hearing that is going to be worth any sacrifice we'll ever make in this life. But the second group, you know, they may make it to heaven, but it's going to be something less than a triumphal entry. And they may say, you know what? It doesn't really matter to me as long as I'm there. But you know what? When you're seeing everybody else kneeling before the the Lord, casting their crowns down at His feet, and you have nothing to offer, it's going to matter then to you. I promise you. But then it will be too late. I encourage you. Turn on the news. Turn on the news. We're not long for this world. Things are coming to pass. Just the way we read about it in the Bible, how... God tells us and and informs us what the last days are going to look like right before the coming of Christ. Right now, with all the things going on in our nation, this pandemic around the world, all the chaos around the world, you know what? We're seeing birth pangs, but more than birth pangs, right? Because they're getting more and more frequent. They're narrowing in time. We're seeing more and more things happening faster And we see it with more intensity, right? The Lord could come back any time. You know, and there are souls that are hanging the balances right now. There are souls that need to hear about the cross in Truckee and in the world. It may shock you to learn, maybe not. But if you don't know, think about this for a second. What was the sin that God judged Sodom for? You know, most people would immediately say, well, you know, it's the sin of homosexuality. And yes, the Bible declares homosexuality is a sin. But it's no more or no less of any other sin that you can think of. It's no worse than cheating on your taxes. It's no worse than lying to your mom or dad. It's no worse than sleeping with your girlfriend. You know, it's the same thing. But turn real quick with me. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 16. Flip over there real fast. Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 49 through 50 Ezekiel 16 49 through 50 says, "Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food and abundance of idleness." Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. Homosexuality, that sin, it was the last on the list, right? The first was pride, followed by an abundance of food and leisure time without giving any thought to the poor and the needy around them after that they were haughty which means arrogant they were conceited you know they were snobbish they had this this attitude of superiority and then finally was the sin of homosexuality man all those things describe our nation that we live in you know i've been watching i don't know if you've been watching but i've been watching the democratic and the republican conventions i like that kind of thing i watch them both and it may be surprise you that there's At least one thing that both parties have in common. After every single speech, what do they say? May God bless America. And don't get me wrong, I love America. You know what? I love being an American. I'm proud to be an American. But we've become a, a wicked country. You know, we think we're great because of our democracy, we think we're great because of our military. And we fail to give God the glory. Millions of babies every year are murdered in, in their mother's womb. You know, and we're bombarded all the time. Just this constant anti-God agenda. And, you know, we've taken prayers out of school. The country is now calling evil good and calling good evil. You know, Billy Graham said, if God doesn't judge America, he owes an apology to Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen, if you just put your Bibles down for a second and just tune in here, because this is, this is important right now. I believe God would call His church to repentance. I believe God is calling us. Calvary Chapel Truckee. I think He's calling us to repentance. I, be, I believe He wants us to turn to Him, and if we would be willing to... You know, as his church, repent. I believe he'll bring a revival into our midst. I think that's what the Lord wants to do for the city of Truckee. But it starts right here. Starts with me. Starts with my family. God, forgive us. Help us to live for you like never before. Starts with you. You know, if you've been living a compromising life, you know what, now's the time to just say, God, forgive me. Get your eyes on Jesus and with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, live for Him. Put the things of the world away before it's too late. If we are willing to repent, I think God will just birth this tremendous revival, this tremendous movement within our church and it will spread out into that city of Truckee. And then from there, I'll go into the world. You know what? Let's live for the Lord now. Like there's no tomorrow. Because he's worthy of us living like that. He's worthy of us living for him. Because you know what? There may not be a tomorrow. You know, he may return tonight before we have a chance to say amen to the final prayer. Let's live life. such a way that there's no compromise to be found, no evidence of compromise to be found in our life. Let's live a life of no compromise for the Lord so we might impact our families, so we might impact our city, so we might impact the world. Let's be those people that God wants to use to reach the world, Truckee and beyond. Let's be those people. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. Father, I just pray you'd move on our hearts right now. Lord, you you have this chapter in, in your word for a purpose. Lord, let that purpose be accomplished in our hearts right now, Lord. Father God, for any one of my brothers or sisters that maybe have been living a compromised life, Lord, would you give them the courage to repent and to turn to you and ask for forgiveness and and give them the power to live for you, Lord. Lord, speak to your people right now. Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are living a life for you like, like they're just living for you like their hair is on fire. Or I just pray that they would be an example for all of us, that we might, might strive to achieve that, that type of life, just undefiled by the world and sold out for you. Lord, set our hearts on fire. Lord, would you set the hearts of Calvary Chapel, Truckee? Would you set the hearts of your bride? here in this city, on fire to live for you. Lord, how I long for more of you in my life. Lord, if there's anybody out there that doesn't know you, that is hearing your voice, maybe feeling, you know, the spirit prompting them to give their life to you, Lord, would you give them the courage to turn from their sin and to turn to you to ask for forgiveness, to ask you to come into their life. Lord, would you help them confess that they are sinners, that they're less than perfect and they need a Savior. Lord, and then would you meet them? Would you meet them? Lord, have your way with this church. Lord, this is your church. Lord, I may be the pastor, but Lord, I'm an under-shepherd at best. This is your church. Have your way with your church, with your people, with us, Lord. I ask it in your name Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey um you know maybe if you you pray and you asked God to to help you live a more committed life. And I just want to encourage you would you just get a hold of me. Let's pray together if you've asked Christ into your heart, you've never received him before. You know what? Let's get together. Let's just talk it over. Let's let's let me get a Bible in your hand and uh, we'll talk about it and answer any questions you have. If you're Not a believer, and you've been listening, and you've made a choice not to live for the Lord. Hey, let's talk about that too. Call a church office. Let's get together. Come into the office. Sit down. Let's just hash things out, open the word, and see what God's heart says about any one of those conditions that we may uh, be experiencing. So, Calvary Chapel, Truckee, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. You know, I'm so happy to be here, Tina and I. We're here for the long haul. I hope you don't mind. It seems like we're sticking around. God's going to bless us with a house. So excited about it. So God bless you all. Have a great night.